So a bunch of years ago, two of us went up to Spencer Creek. It had been snowing, deep snow, went up there, just grabbed our families, went up to have a great time, built a big, you know, Lord of the Rings bonfire, had a wonderful time, started getting a little bit darker, getting a little bit colder. So we decided, let's go. So we load up. At that time, um, I had my kids, and then we had two foster kids, Harry and Hunter. Harry was a newborn baby that we got, and Hunter was his older brother, three years old. So we pack in our Suburban, we're heading down, and it got icy. Like, it had just kind of changed temperatures, and it's getting a little bit icy. And I'm the first one down, and I'm going down and just hit ice and slid off into a ditch on my side and kind of in the ditch, and I had a choice, and I still had some momentum. I could stop, and then I'd be stuck, or I could just give it gas. Guess what I chose? Floor it, all right? So I floor it, back wheel falls into, and we're just bumping down this ditch, like boom, 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 for probably 20, maybe, no, probably 50, 60 feet. And then all of a sudden, my front tire, because I'm turned pretty sharp, hooks up, gets us out of the ditch. I let off on the throttle, try to re, you know, correct everything slow and easy, but it didn't work. We just slid across, and then there's about a 200, 300 foot cliff on this side, right? So we're just sliding, and then we slide where the front end's off the edge. A couple things happen in that moment. My heart stops, right? Number one. Number two, my wife, who is in the passenger seat, jumped out of her seat into my seat. I'm like, sweetie, if we go off, it doesn't matter what seat you're in. That's not gonna help you, right? And then Hunter, three-year-old foster kid, is in the back seat, you know, the bumping and the craziness. He starts to sing a song. And this is the song he sang. He said, we're heading off the mountain and we're all gonna die. <laughs> so good. Now, obviously, we did not die. Um, but life can feel like that. Life can feel like you're just either stuck in a ditch or the path that we're on right now is icy and there's momentum and we're just heading off a cliff. Culturally, it can feel that way. It can feel that way when we read the news, when we see the next policies, see this thing coming up, we're just like, you almost just throw up your hands like there's nothing I can do. The path is messed up. It's either a ditch or a cliff. Take your choice. So what do we do? We're in the book of Colossians right now. And on the slippery slope of life, it's that, been that way for a long time. All the way back to Genesis 3. And so what Paul's going to do for us in this chapter is he says, here's a chain up area. Here's how you can get traction no matter what you're in. Here's how to put some chains on and so that you can navigate the slipperiness of life better. It's brilliant section. Let's jump in. Verse six, Colossians chapter two. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Such a brilliant 
couple of verses. How'd you receive Jesus Christ? Was it because you were varsity? Because you were the best? Because God looked down and said, I've got to have him on my team. I've got to have Matt Heverly. I'll give half the kingdom. I'll trade up for a draft pick. He's got to get on my team. Is that how we received him? No, for most of us, it's because we'd hit the bottom. It's because we were a disaster. It's because our lives were a complete wreck. Scripture puts it like this, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, not varsity, not the best, we were the worst. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I've screwed it up. I'm in jail. I'm addicted. I'm in divorce court. I'm an atom bomb radiating out disaster. That's when you receive Jesus. By his grace through faith. As you received him, so walk in him. The psalmist says this, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. One of the ways you get your salvation restored is by remembering the miry pit from which you were hewn, the prophets would say. By remembering, man, before Jesus, I was a total wreck. Oh, God saw me. God saved me. God changed me. God saved me from me. Ultimately, I'm my worst enemy. Not something out there, not culture. I'm my worst enemy. It's me. Jesus saved me from me. He's forgiven me of my sins. He is holding on to me, John chapter 10, verse 28. He's going to complete the work he began in me, Philippians 1, verse 6. And he's going to return for me one day. That's what you walk in. Totally, repeatedly telling yourself, man, the good news. It brings joy to your heart. It never stops being good news. You can tell me that every day and I'll be okay with it. Walk in it. And then he says, because you were taught these things. I love that. Pastor Epaphras, the guy that founded the church at Colossae, Paul says he's done a good job teaching you guys. I think pastors have two main jobs, guard and garden. Those are the two main jobs of a pastor, right? We guard and we garden. We garden by just heaping on over and over, time and time again, the fertilizer of God's word. Just totally, just, hey, more and more and more of God's word. Let me heap it onto you. Then we also guard. Warning about dangers and stuff that's coming for people. And so here's what happened to them. Paul says, because of that, you were rooted like the Psalm 1 tree planted by the streams of water. Leaf not withering, bringing fruit in season. Whatever we put our hand to, it prospers. Brilliant, because we're rooted like a tree. Built up, construction term. Built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. As you received him, so walk in him. Being reminded over and over, Jesus is the hero of our faith. Founded on him. And then established in the faith. The word established is actually a legal term. It's a lawyer kind of term. It's literally, listen, 
the Supreme Court has ruled in your favor, it cannot be overturned. God, the Supreme Court, has ruled in your favor. Listen, you cannot be overturned. So how do you respond to something that good? You abound in thanksgiving, right? When someone gives you a gift that's just out of this world, someone donates a kidney to you, how do you respond? Right? You can't repay them. You just have to be abounding in thanksgiving. This Valentine's Day, when you're with your spouse and you're reminded all that he is or she is to you, what do you do? And you give thanks. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I put in my cards every single year. Thank you. Thank you. You're more than I could ever possibly dreamed of or asked for. Thank you. Right? So this is a preview of chapter three, because chapter three is going to be all about this. So it's just kind of like wetting our appetite. So he's doing a little bit of gardening, but he's going to jump right into guarding now, chain up area. So guard, and it's going to be some things that are bad for us. Check this out. Verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive, put in prison, jailed, enslaved. That's what this is. Takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Four things Pastor Paul is going to say, these things will take you captive. Guard your minds. Guard your life. These are the ditches and the cliffs of life. Guard, get, get chained up, right? First one, he mentions his philosophy. Now, philosophy, it's, it simply means the love of learning. That's really what it means. Philo, love, uh, osophy, you know, study of. So it's the love of learning. It's studying, it's learning. Now, isn't learning a good thing? Absolutely. It's a great thing. We should be lifelong learners. We should be studying. We should be, I love to learn. It's awesome. So why is Paul saying, look out. Philosophy can take you captive. I'll give you two reasons. Number one, sometimes by what we learn, we can learn, we can leave the simplicity of verse six the simplicity of salvation by faith because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We get too high-minded. We get too smart for our own good. We leave the simplicity of that. And here's what Hebrews 11.6 says. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say without knowledge, it's impossible to please God. It says without faith. The walk that we're on, there's going to be mystery to it. There's going to be things that you just don't have answered. Because ultimately, what God wants is the people that trust him and put their faith in him. And sometimes we can just get, well, if I can't figure it out with my own head, I won't believe it. Look out. There's going to be a lot of things in life you don't figure out. But God will give you enough to believe him, but not too much to take away faith. So it's that balance. It's that delicate balance that we got to walk out. And number two, the danger of learning is this. The more you learn, especially in higher education, especially in degrees, especially with the alphabet after your name, 
what can happen is you get a status. And every single research has found this. The more status you attain in higher learning, the more worried you get about losing that status and the less likely you are in bucking the system. So you can just, you can look it up if you want to. That you get a certain status because you put a lot of time, eight years, 10 years in a PhD. Well, you're not gonna lose that status by going against a national narrative because you'll be out. And so what happens is the status keeps you locked into a system. I think we have four years of seeing status and elite attitudes actually where we got lied to. People, they weren't telling us the truth, but because it was a national narrative and you have to stick with this and don't buck the system. You gotta be careful of that. I've heard it put like this. Common sense is like the air. The higher you go, the less there is of it. And I think there's some truth to that. And because of status, and I have a paper on it, you can read it, it's very interesting. They said, if you actually want the truth, ask people that are smart without status. Ask your educated blue collar worker. That's they said, they are sometimes the most truthful people. Your plumber, your electrician, your carpenter, They're educated, they're smart, right? They're smart with their hands, they're smart with their mind, they're doing stuff, and they don't have a, like, you don't care the political views of your plumber, just fix my toilet, right? They'll tell you the truth. I thought that was very, very interesting, right? So there are right now elite philosophies, and these elite philosophies are being pushed onto us by very high-dollar, high-paid people, and they're pushing them on us, and they're destructive. I'll give you a couple. I got a ton. I don't have time though. Make drugs legal. That's an elite educated idea. How's it working? Right? So right now you can go to the city of San Francisco and they have a giant billboard. I've seen a picture of it. And it's got a picture of these very, very handsome, beautiful people. And they're all like laughing and having a great time. And, and, and the tagline is this, do it with friends. It looks like it could be a Coors Light commercial. You know what it is? It's an advertisement for fentanyl. Yeah, do it with friends. Make sure you're around friends when you're shooting up your fentanyl. So if you overdose, they can help you. Not, don't do it. Because we are now, there is a nationally funded movement in America to destigmatize drugs. The Atlantic has this brilliant article on it. Just Google Atlantic destigmatizing drugs. And it's an elite idea. Hey, let's destigmatize drugs. Right? New York City, if you could ride the subways in New York City. They have all over New York City, uh, the subways, these signs of people shooting up fentanyl saying, you don't have to be ashamed of your drug problem. I think there should be some shame in a drug problem because it's called a problem. And there should be shame in problems, right? So that's being pushed nationally. The Alliance for Drug Policy which is probably the most powerful drug group in America. They have re-termed drug dealers and they call them this now, harm reductionists. And you can read all about why they have re-termed them from drug dealers killing thousands of people every single day in America to harm reductionists. And it makes no common sense because the higher you go, the less there is of it, right? So the other big one is this. It's 
polygamous relationships. So right now, there's been one of the biggest things that people are looking at right now in America is the radical change in opinion when it comes to polygamous relationships. And there's a whole like, it would be a message in itself, but change, big change. So now about 25% of Americans say polygamy is okay. The majority, the vast majority that say it's okay, educate elite people. So there's a guy that writes about this. His name is Dr. Rob Henderson. He's a really, really interesting guy. And he's coined the term luxury beliefs because there are beliefs that are put out by the elite because they can take the, the, the repercussions of those beliefs much better than poor people can. So drugs, if drugs are legal and let's say an elite person's son gets addicted to drugs, they have the money to send them to rehab, to help them out, to pave the way. But the poor person gets addicted to the same drug, guess where they end up? Dead, in jail, or on the streets. So there's these luxury beliefs that they're like, it doesn't affect us, we just send them to rehab and he's gonna be fine, right? Polygamous relationships often lead to divorce. But here's the thing with very rich people, big whoop. We divided our $100 million in half. You get $50 million, I get $50 million. We get our own house, we can get our own things, right? No big deal. It doesn't really affect us. But the middle class, poor family, that can barely buy one house. Now they got to figure out how do they do two houses. They're renting a house. You got alimony. It ruins them financially. So he just has turned this term. That, that pushed on America right now is a group of people, they're, relig- they're, they're elites, and they're educated, they're way up here, and they're pushing these beliefs that to them will never cause them any problem because they can buy their way out. But it's devastating the average American. And the one that fascinated you was this, and he's a biracial guy. So, he, so what, I don't care where you stand on this. It just really fascinated me when he was writing about this, and I actually have the quote from him. And this is about open borders. He says this, quote, among university students, Attitudes toward immigrants were most negative when the immigrants had a university education Mm. and most positive when the immigrants provided cheap, hired help and opened interesting restaurants. They are less excited when immigrants are competing with them for the same jobs. If thousands of people with bachelor's and postgraduate degrees were unlawfully entering the U.S. each day, my guess is current elite attitudes around border security would be very different, end quote. How interesting is that, right? This is philosophies. And you get so embedded in them, you get in the echo chamber of them, it starts to affect you and change you. Be careful. Paul would say about philosophy, don't ever leave verse 6. As you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. You keep coming back to Jesus. You keep getting established and rooted in him. That's how you prevent all this from happening, right? Beware of philosophy. Number two, empty deceit. You can say stupid lies. Look out, they'll get you. And they're silly lies, right? We all kind of believe them that the answer to life's problems are in a, carton of ice cream, and you're going to get to the bottom of it to find them, right? Or looking at your phone, doom scrolling for another 10 minutes will make you happy. Has it ever made anyone happy? Have you ever watched somebody doom scrolling? Right? They look like a zombie. They're like, right? It's brain rot. And yet, 
Man, the statistics are off the chart right now on how many people just sit at home the moment they have whatever, free time. Instead of like thinking or taking a walk or enjoying nature, the go-to now is grab your phone and doom scroll. And every single study has shown it decreases your well-being, does not increase it. And yet, we'll still do it because we get deceived by it. So there's silly ones, but they're satanic deceits. They're satanic lies that we believe. Stuff like this. You'll never change. You'll always be an addict. Because you did this, no one will ever love you. You blew it. God's grown tired of you. God's going to reject you. If you're really honest with another believer, man, they wouldn't like you. You ever heard those lies whispered to you? You got to bring the good news into that. Jesus died for you and loves you. He's holding on to you. And he's returning for you. Here's another demonic lie. You do you. That's just stupid. When people tell me that, I just say, how's that working for you? Right? How's it working? There's another one. I'm above the law. Right? That sermon, that verse, that radio program I heard, that's for weak people. That's for people that don't, no, that's not for me. That doesn't apply to me. I can handle it. I can go there. I can try this. That'll never happen to me. Man, that is a demonic lie. Look out. Look out. But there's society lies now. And I get the opportunity to talk to young people. And I always count it a privilege when someone like, you know, in their 18 to 28, that kind of age frame wants to talk to me because, you know, I'm an old guy now. So I just say, yeah, let's talk. And I'm starting to like just write down things that I hear repeated because I think it's coming to them through like a, a society that's gone bent. And so I've just been writing them down. Here's some I've written down. One is this. Young people say this now. I'm just a powerless victim. And what I say to them is, no, you are an adult with agency. And what I mean by that is, you're an adult that can make choices in this, right? I don't know what your victimhood, I don't know any of that, but I know this, you're an adult with agency. There's another one. Disagreement is abuse. That your words hurt me. Have you heard that? It's common now. What I say is no adults for thousands and thousands of years have disagreed with each other. And we can do it well where we tolerate and listen and learn and sharpen each other like iron. That disagreement is actually a great way to grow and to learn. That's what happens. There's another one. It's not my fault or responsibility. My answer, it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Your life is your responsibility. The same set of circumstances that can break somebody in Christ can build us, that he can take what the enemy wants to use for evil and turn it for good. And if you're a Christian, he has given to you everything that you need for life and godliness. So it is your responsibility. Stand up, do something about it, right? My feelings, my feelings are my reality. Since I feel this way, it must be that way. No, feelings are feelings. That's all they are. Right? They're like the weather. They change constantly. Quit getting soaked. Sit, evaluate them, especially with scripture, to see if they're real or not. That's what we're supposed to be doing. 
okay? There's another one. Everyone's toxic. Everyone's toxic. No, everyone's human. And yes, we're all broken. And so are you. Get used to it. Learn it. I need a safe space. Have you heard that? I love that one. I tell them, you, you don't need a safe space. What you need is resilience. That character is like a muscle. It requires stress and it requires difficulty to get stronger. And if we keep retreating to safe spaces, every time we feel vulnerable, then we're all going to grow up to be Peter Pans, right? Just perpetual children that think they can fly. No, sit, stop, freeze yourself. Listen to what this person is saying. Evaluate it, right? Um, one more. I got to act authentically. And this often has to do with someone and how they feel sexually. And what I tell them is, no, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's the command of the Christian. Not act authentic. We are all authentically broken. I'll do one more. They need to change, right? They need to stop doing that. They, so it's always like I'm talking to them and somebody has done something. They need to change. They need to stop. Here's what I tell them. Early on when I married Charity, and you're in that early year, year and a half where the two are becoming one, it's not instantaneous. In God's eyes, it's instantaneous. It takes a while for the puzzle piece to kind of fit together, right? You got to do some things. So I was praying about something. I'm like, God, you know, you need to change charity. She needs to stop doing this. You know, just she needs to change. And here's what I heard whispered into my soul. Matt, charity does not need to change. I said, well, then who does? There's only her and me, man. Who needs to change then? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. I have a saying from that. Every morning you look in the mirror and that's the only person I can change. That's it. It's me. Everyone else, I can't change them. I can hope and pray for them. It's me and only me. So there are these big to me right now, societal lies that are just, how do you guard against that? How do we guard against just the current right now, the slippery slopes that are no good? And you got to read this book. More and more and more, I'm finding in my life, I need to be immersed in God's word to keep bringing into my head the right way the world works. I got to keep going here, right? You get saved and the Bible says this, you're a baby. How do babies grow? Do they grow by addition? Do you get a new arm for them and a new head for them? They grow, they're complete, right? A baby's complete. How do they grow? Nutrition. Not by addition, by nutrition. We don't need something else. We don't need a new book or a new DVD or a new program or a new guru. You know what we need? Nutrition. Eat this book. Eat it. Dine on it. It's available every single minute of our lives. We got it on phones. We got it on computers. We got it on apps. We got it in a book. Are you kidding? Eat this book. That's how. So Paul says, look out. Look out for philosophy. Look out for empty deceit. Look out, number three, for human traditions. We have human traditions I think we don't even know we have. So when, when someone says, hey, let's pray, what do we do? <clears throat> don't we bow our heads? Close our eyes? 
when we're training our kids, you know, at the dinner table and it's time to pray, what is it? Bow your head, close your eyes, fold your hands. Is that biblical? Most times in scripture, when you see someone in a narrative that's praying, they actually lift their head, open their eyes and raise their hands. It's exactly opposite of what we do. How about church service, the liturgy that we do? Like we sing songs. Is that the Bible to sing a song before a church service? Not really, no. I mean, we have a book called Psalms, but does that mean they, they come before the message? Like, right? Like it's just something that we have kind of grown accustomed to and it's American church and I'm fine with it. And, and nowhere else do we do that. I've said this, you don't go to a CEO board meeting and like the board is like, hey, you know, before we get into the meat of what we're gonna talk about, let's sing a song, Right? You don't show up at the job, job site tomorrow morning, like construction site, and your boss is like, hey, before you look at the plans for what we're going to build today, uh, I just want to take a moment and sing a song. We're going to sing the Eagles Hotel California. Let's go. They'd be like, this is weird, right? But it's become just what we do here. How about greeting people? Is that like part of service is greeting people? What if you went to a football game and at halftime, they're like, hey, you know what? Get up, greet 10 people you don't know. You'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. That's silly. I don't know them. I don't want to know them, right? We have these, and those aren't bad. Those are, you know, they're just traditions. But sometimes I think they can be wrong. So baptism classes. Are there baptism classes in the Bible? No, there's not. Now I am all for nutrition. I'm all for discipleship. I'm all for helping people know what happened when they got saved by Jesus Christ. I'm all for that but I am not for holding over someone's head uh, the opportunity to be baptized if you check off our boxes right. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't do that. Read the book of Acts. Repent and be baptized. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your garbage. Turn to Jesus and get baptized. No class in there. Stephen meets this Ethiopian eunuch all confused about Isaiah 53. Stephen explains the gospel to him. He believes. The Ethiopian eunuch says this, is there anything to prevent me from being baptized? Stephen says, yes, we've got a six weeks class you gotta take. <laughs> no, right here, right? We gotta be careful because you start tearing down Christianity. Here's the good people that did the baptism class and they got the certificate and they're up here. There's no tear. The ground is level at the cross. And anytime we start making it unlevel, then we are doing a disservice to Jesus Christ. We got to be careful. So what was happening 2,000 years ago is this. The traditions, human traditions, were actually starting to destroy what God wanted to make. I'll give you an example. Have you heard of the Sabbath day? Right? Here's the Sabbath. Keep it holy. There's about four verses in the Bible about it. That's it. But by the time of Jesus, here's what had happened to those four verses. There was the oral tradition. So the oral tradition was actually by the Jewish people held on the same level as the law, as the Torah. And it was actually codified and written down as what's called the Mishnah. So the Mishnah is the writing down of the oral tradition. It went from four verses to 24 chapters in the Mishnah. And then it wasn't enough just to have the Mishnah. The Talmud then is the commentary on the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of the law. And it was 156 pages. It took four simple verses 
where God says essentially this, hey, one time a week, stop. Remember, you are not a human doing. You are a human being. Unplug and be. Enjoy who I am. Enjoy my gifts that I've given to you. Unplug from this thing that just drives you and pounds you into the ground like some kind of factory worker. Right? Simple, beautiful. And now it became just 24 chapters, 156 pages, told you everything you could and could not do. Told you how much you could carry. The only weight you could carry on the Sabbath day was a fig. Anymore, you are a sinner. Told you how far you could travel. But if you went that far and you built a little booth that you said is my home, you could travel that distance again and keep doing that as long as you wanted. You couldn't spit on the dirt because if you spit on the dirt, it might roll up and make mud and you worked, right? It just got crazy. So here's what Jesus says in commenting, commenting on what had happened. Let me read it for you. Matthew 15, 89. These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, emptiness, nothingness, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of God. What had happened? God's simple command to take a day off had become an, a new way to enslave people, right? The, the, the enjoyment's gone. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to do this. Just it, the enjoyment was gone. And the ability that people should have to go to God and say, I don't understand these four verses. I'm going to, as a family, pray and get counsel and talk about this thing was taken away, which is what God wanted. I just give you four simple verses. Come to me for further instruction. Come see me. The new covenant, I'm going to write on your heart what you're supposed to do. That you talk to me, you pray to me, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That was taken away. So Jesus just said, the new covenant has been emptied of its power because now you got 156 pages and 24 chapters to do everything that you're supposed to do instead of coming to me. It's why I'm very careful about ever telling you guys, this is what you have to do. You have to homeschool your kids or you can't do this or you gotta buy this or you can't buy that. I don't do that. It's I'm gonna teach you the Bible, fertilize you. And then if you want more instruction, man, you get the same opportunity any of us has. Go talk to Jesus. I want you to love Jesus and follow him. Because when you do, man, you'll get to the right destination every single time. So that's my goal. So beware of human traditions. And then lastly, not according to the elemental spirits of the word of the world and not according to Christ. What are elemental spirits? Huh? Some people say it's water, earth, fire, air, right? We still have that. When a storm comes, you are battered by the elements, right? So that's one. Some people say, no, it's the basics of the Torah, the basic of the law. That's what he's talking about here. Well, let me give you some commentaries and I've got them all written down here, but essentially they say this. So, quote, the term stoichia, which is that term, elemental spirits. The term stoichia was indeed used of personalized spiritual forces that have significant influence over the affairs of day-to-day -day existence. There's all the commentaries that say that's what Colossians is actually saying. 
Plain English, demonic powers. Now we can be a little bit like weirded out by, oh man, demons, huh? that scares me. The Bible isn't. It's all throughout scripture. Let me give you some accounts of it. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says, there's a power. It's so prevalent. It's like the air you breathe. How freaky is that? Right? A couple chapters later is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You want a thesaurus on demonic names. It's right there. Just take a concordance and look at every single of these words where else it shows up in the Bible. It'll blow your mind, right? Right? Next one. Jesus. Now he's going to be betrayed. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler, we just saw ruler in Ephesians, now will the ruler of this world be cast out? Who's the ruler of the world? Is it Pontius Pilate? Who gets cast out here? And I, when I'm lifted up from earth, will draw all men to myself. Who's this ruler? Well, the same author in 1 John 5, 19 puts it like this. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is post-death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Meaning, still there. Still empowered, still doing something. Right? Galatians 5 verse or 4 verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles. Same exact word in Colossians. In Colossians, they translated elementary spirits. Here they translated elementary principles. ESV. Now, I love the ESV. I hate it when the Bible does this. Or I hate it when translators do this. Because they're, they're taking away the connections you can make by reading the scripture and knowing, oh, it's the same word. Same exact word, but they translate it differently. Just, no, he's talking about the same thing. The elementary spirits of the world. Same thing, right? These are amazing. Romans 8. Now just notice the pairing right here. For I am sure that neither death nor life paired together, nor angels, nor rulers. We saw rulers now in John 12, Ephesians 6. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the pairings. Good, bad, or bad, good. Death, life. Angels or rulers, what are rulers there? The powers, the elemental spirits, that's it. Want me to do more? Please no. <laughs> Leave me alone. No wonder that in our world today we're seeing an explosion of depression and suicide and drug abuse and divorce and kids being hurt because the very air we breathe is poisoned. No wonder, right? 
No wonder. Paul's warning them, look out. Look out. So what does it mean? What, what do we do with this information map? What can happen to people by these elemental spirits? Well, the New Testament says people are possessed by them, oppressed by them, and attacked by them. Well, how do they do that? What do they do to you? The best analogy I have is, have you heard of Toxoplasma Gandhi? Google it. You'll be freaked out. It's this parasite that wants to live in a cat. It can only reproduce in a cat. But because of what rats eat, it almost always ends up in a rat. So here's what Toxoplasma Gandhi does. It migrates up to the head, the brain of a rat. It fiddles with the rat's brain so that when the rat smells cat urine, the rat just sits there till the cat comes back and eats it. And then Toxoplasma Gandhi ends up where it wants to be. How crazy is that? So they started studying Toxoplasma Gandhi. Can it get into humans? Guess what? It can. What does it do to humans? Fiddles with their brain. Dead serious. It's why all of us know a crazy cat lady. Dead serious. That's it, man. I'm telling you. Changes their perception, changes their world. I think it might be like that. What? Well, how's it work for believers? Whenever somebody's asked me this, I always turn into this, and I know I'm going long today, and I'm okay with it. I always turn to Jesus. Jesus was attacked by the elemental spirit, by the ruler of the world. Check out what happens. I'm going to do this as quick as I can. Attack number one, Matthew chapter four. You can look at it. Satan comes. Jesus is very hungry, right? 40 days, he's hungry. He's probably close to dying. He's weak. When do you get attacked? When you're weak and hungry. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Here's what Satan is saying to Jesus right here. Your dad should be taking better care of you. Why are you hungry right now? You ever had that whispered into your soul? If you're really the child of God, why is he letting this bad thing happen to you? You ever heard that? Jesus' answer, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what Jesus' answer is? I don't live my life by my feelings. I live my life based on the promises of God. Brilliant. If you get that one right there, man, you've got success in life. I don't live by my feelings because they're fickle. I live on the promises of God, right? Attack number two. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall command his angels concerning you. Here's what Satan does. He misquotes the Bible. How many false doctrines have happened because somebody misquoted the Bible? You want to take care of that real quick? Every time someone says, hey, quotes a verse, go and read the couple verses before it and the couple verses after it. Get the context. That's how you prevent misquotations. Be a Berean, right? Or on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is actually from Deuteronomy 6.16. It's a, do we trust God or not? Do we trust God or not? I think the whole Bible has one point to it. Trust God is good and generous. That's the point of scripture. Trust God is good and generous. That's God that God is looking for. He found in Abraham. 
He found it in David. Hopefully he finds it in me. That I trust God with my life, with ministry, with my kids, with my family. I trust God that he is good and generous. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Trust him. And then the final one. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Look at everything. All the kingdoms, all the names, I'll give them to you. What is this temptation right here? Like most of us, we pray for people that have temptations for pornography or addiction or lust or whatever it is, right? What is this one here? Like I've never had somebody after service say, hey, Matt, I need you to pray for me. What for? Last night, a three-headed goat demon showed up in my room and said, if I will worship him, I'll win the American Idol. Never had that happen. What's happening right here? You got to go big story of the Bible. God creates a good spot called Eden, puts his human bearer, his image bearers in it. They ruin it. They trash the joint. With that trashing comes violence. It happens real quick. Murder, right? First two brothers murder each other. Polygamy, sexual problems. Like just, it just goes worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Jesus comes to redeem that. Here's the temptation Satan is giving to Jesus. Jesus, if you'll worship me, All evil stops right now. How big of a temptation is that? You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do it that way. Worship me and I give it all back to you. So every 30 seconds, malaria claims a child. That ends today. Every day, about a thousand people are dying from fentanyl. That ends today. Right now in Josephine County, 400 kids have been so abused by their parents that they're in foster care. That ends today. 450,000 across our nation. That ends today. Women being hurt, rape, murder. It all ends today. What a temptation that would be for Jesus. Because Jesus loves us. Knows there's a battle and hates the casualties. What a temptation this would be. You don't need the cross. You don't need it. That temptation is still there with us today. You don't need Jesus. You don't need the cross. You just need morality, better laws. That'll save you. No. You you don't need, you don't need the cross. You just need a cause. You need social justice. If you just had a cause, that would, that would help you. We get the same temptation today. What is Jesus's answer? Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only can, him only shall you serve. How good is that? Be gone. Be gone. And Satan departed. And it says angels actually came and ministered to Jesus. That to me is spiritual warfare. When he comes, every time Jesus says, it's written. Saturated in scripture, it's written. Every time Jesus says, I don't do that junk. You don't know who I am. You don't know my identity. I don't get involved in that junk. I am a son of God. You and I can say, we don't do that junk just like Jesus. We don't get involved in it. So the big questions come up, like why was Jesus attacked? Did Jesus have some kind of sin in his life that gave the enemy access to him? No, he is sinless. Was there a generational curse on him because his dad was doing Ouija boards when he was born? No, dad's perfect too, right? Was there some portal? Did he have some kind of tribal mass that allowed the demons and allowed Satan to come through? Nope, none of that. 
Why was Jesus attacked? Because he's light. Why was Job attacked? Because he was light. Why was Paul attacked? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because he was light. I know sometimes there can be things we get involved in that no doubt open us up to the enemy, but sometimes we get attacked by the enemy because we're the brightest light. You can almost wear as a badge of honor. Hey, praise God, I must matter. I must be affecting the kingdom. I must be doing something right because I'm being attacked right now. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. We overcome. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind. 1 John 1, listen. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. Listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 38, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Listen. Eye has not heard, ear has, eye has not seen, ear has not heard the wonderful things that God has in store for those that love him. Man, I'm not worried about the enemy. I think it's a badge of honor. If we're not being attacked at Edgewater, you know what I start doing? Uh-oh. Man, are we doing anything for the kingdom right now? Are we affecting the kingdom? Right? Have we just been forgotten? Do we not matter? I get more worried. I get more worried. Because here's what I know. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That the enemy's got nothing on me. I stop believing his lies. I rebuke him. Get behind me. Get away from me. I keep myself in Jesus stuff and I'm worried about it. I keep myself in scripture being fed daily on scripture. No worries about it.